Our gracious God, we come to you this morning now and we pray that you will open our hearts, our eyes and our minds to what you have to say to us on this Harvest Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the scripture that Carolyn read to us uh, from John's Gospel tells us that some Greeks were there because they were here for the feast. It was the feast of the Passover. Now there is a link, a great link, with the Passover and with John chapter 12 verse 24 that we have read. And I will remind you of that key verse. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest. It bears much fruit. The, the, the children of Israel were imprisoned. They were under real duress They were working and living under really uh, slavery circumstances in Egypt. They were treated really, really badly. They they were paid pittances, if anything. They had very little to eat. They were a people who were forced to work in the most adverse of circumstances. Sometimes they had to even make the big granaries. They had to build the buildings for Pharaoh to keep all his wheat in. And they had to build these buildings under really bad circumstances. Uh, So they could see all this food going there for Pharaoh and his cohorts, whereas they had nothing. It was was a really severe uh, case uh, for many, many years, as you know, the Bible will tell you. Uh, And so it's a really serious situation. And so God says to his man Moses, I would like you please to go to Pharaoh and say these four words, let my people go. Let my people go. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. We cannot possibly carry on like this. This is not fair on us. We cannot worship correctly. We cannot do work correctly. Uh, We need to go forward. We need to leave. And Pharaoh declines it. He's a kind of reverse Donald Trump. He says, no, you can't go. So the people don't go. They are continued to be treated badly. And so... um, God says to Moses, right, well, what you need to do, you need to say to Pharaoh, if he doesn't let you go, there's going to be an awful lot of trouble that's going to be brought upon your land. There is going to be some kind of destruction. There is going to be some army that I will send from another part of uh, the land that is going to come and destroy all the people, particularly the firstborn. They are all going to be taken out. And so Moses says, that's a bit harsh, but I will do it. He goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh this. And Pharaoh says, I'm sorry, you're still not going. So Moses says to God, God, we are still not allowed to move. We are still not allowed to be free. So the Lord says, okay, then I am going to send. It's a bit sci-fi, this phrase. If we go to Exodus 12, in one of the translations, his death angel. Dun, dun. The death angel is going to come and it's going to sweep through the land And it's going to devastate families and homes and people. But, says God, the people Israel, you can get out of this. 
I want to save you. I want to redeem you and I want to bring you out. So what I tell you, you do, you go to trees, you get branches, you, you sacrifice a goat and you take the branches, you dip in the goat's blood and you smear the blood, as you can see on the screen, over your door frames. That's what I want you to do. If you do that, when the death angel passes, it will see the blood on the door frame and it will leave you alone. And effectively, that's what happens. The death angel passes, and there's devastation. But the people of Israel are saved by the blood on the door frames, by the blood of the sacrifice. The death angel passes over. They are passed over. That is the origin of Passover. I'm sure many of you know that. Forgive me if I've told you something you already know. Now, what is interesting is that Pharaoh, of course, sees what's happening. He says, right, I need to get these Israelites out quickly. So he kicks them all out with barely a moment's notice. And some of them are cooking bread and they're, they're, they're cooking provisions for the journey because they know the end is coming. They know that they're going to be able to go soon. So they, they, they're cooking. But because Pharaoh kicks them out so fast, the bread doesn't have time to rise. So you have the unleavened bread still on the Jewish Passover. They celebrate that today. It's interesting, isn't it? My mum used to sing a solo. Some of you may remember my mum singing. Some of you obviously won't. She used to sing a solo. Jesus, see me at thy feet. Nothing but thy blood can save me. I'm sure you've all sung the song, power, power, wonder-working power. There is power in the blood. Now, Richard and I were having a conversation earlier this week about we have some theological conversations, he and I, you know. We really do. And we were talking about this, and I was, saying, I, was, I, was, I was saying that theologically, your academic scholars now tell us that in the light of the resurrection of Christ, when we talk about the blood sacrifice, we can actually substitute the word blood for love. It's not easy for people on Oxford Street, actually, to understand when you say the blood of Jesus saves you. What do you mean? What do you mean? The blood of Jesus saved you. So when we're thinking of the blood, we are thinking of love. The love of Jesus saves us. Now this is where our verse comes in. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death produces many new kernels. Because of Christ's work for us on the cross, by love, death has passed over us too. Not because we're particularly good, but because God has given it and freely offered with his grace this life. Life follows death, however hopeless the circumstance. Life follows death, however dark it may seem. One good thing to remember is that there are so many great things that begin in the dark. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Creation begins in a dark. A baby, a baby begins in the dark. Jesus in the tomb on the Saturday. His resurrection bursts out 
from the dark. A seed in the ground that becomes a great tree starts in the dark. So 50 days after Calvary, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, after this great event, 50 days we have the feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, which is also known as the Feast of Harvest. Here is the season of new life. Our verse says two things. It speaks firstly about sacrifice, and then it speaks secondly about abundant life. So those are the two thoughts we're looking at. And this is where the cross of Christ speaks into harvest. Harvest means sacrifice. The best fruit is produced when we die to those things that take priority over our love for or our experience of God. The grain of wheat here in John 12 shows that. Sacrifice is the big word. Church harvest can't happen until we've sacrificed or are prepared to sacrifice. And if Jesus couldn't get past that, I'm not sure we can. Church these days is no longer about preference, it's about purpose. Our sacrifice might not be our life, but it might be an attitude or an action or a behavior that's obstructing personal growth. And if we can't sacrifice, then sometimes our own flourishing and the kingdom of God that we participate in, that becomes diminished. If you don't sacrifice to make something better, it's a shame because... How great could stuff be if we all sacrificed something? How great, how even more better could our family life be maybe if we sacrificed something? Our families need the best of us. Our core here, we need the best of one another. And certainly our community needs the best of us. But the harvest can't happen if there's no planting time. If we're not planting in our inner lives through our prayers and our readings and our gracious relationships and our willingness to sacrifice in order to grow. It's about a right relationship with creation and the wider world. Harvest is about a right relationship with our creation and the wider world. What can I sacrifice to help bring restoration to the environment? What can I sacrifice in order to aid the healing of a refugee? What can I sacrifice to help someone who is the victim of cruel human trafficking? And We're going to be spending a little bit of time on that in this afternoon's meeting because this is also Anti-Human Trafficking Sunday. You look back in Genesis, you see that Abraham was really prepared to sacrifice Isaac, his son, takes him all the way up the mountain, ready to sacrifice him. And then God says, your preparation says it all. Spare your son's life. And he says, you, Abraham, will become the seed for many nations. And when you look at it, that points up the generations to Christ. God points directly to Jesus. And scripture says that Jesus is the seed of Abraham, the seed, the Christ of eternity, the one who transcends all time, the one who died for our past, our present, and our future. My theology professor at university used to say he is the Christ, I might have told you this, the Christ who comes from the future to the past, to the present, in order to deal with the past. The Christ who comes from the future to the present in order to deal with the past. Now if that's true, then there's nothing that you or I can ever do that will make Jesus say, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. From the future to the present to deal with the past. The holistic holy relationship with God in Christ 
declares that death has passed over us. Our renewed lives then participate in God's good creation as we ourselves become new creations. That's a great thing, isn't it? We are, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we ourselves become new creations. And this leads nicely to our second point, that harvest means, there it is, abundant life. A few years ago, there was a program on television called The Science of Decay. Uh, and this uh, professor did an experiment uh, up in uh, Scottish University, and they sealed off, uh, well, they made actually a sealed room, quite a, quite a large room, probably the size of this, of this stage, really, maybe even slightly bigger. But they sealed it off so nothing could get in. And in that room, they put food. They put uh, a roasted chicken and a raw pig. They put a pig on a spit. They put a couple of plants in there as well. They put all kinds of fruit and vegetables, all sorts of things. The aim was that over six weeks they were going to watch how this decayed. They were going to film it and see what we can learn from the way stuff decayed. And so uh, you you saw as a time-lapse thing, obviously. Um, But he showed us week by week how it was going. You could see after the first couple of weeks, stuff was starting to go brown and starting to go horrible, and it was starting to smell, you can imagine. About halfway through, he got on protective clothing, and he went in, uh, and he could see that the place was absolutely covered with little fruit flies. There were maggots in the pig. It was everything. Any, any little animal you can think of was in there eating all this stuff, and it, it was ghastly. It, it was really horrible. He, he explained you know, the, the smell and, and how it was. I won't go into it. It's not, not right, is it? Um, but he, he told about how stuff was just dying. He was giving the scientific background behind it, and it was very, very interesting. Got to the sixth week, I think it was, the very last week, and he went in on the last day. Everything had gone. Everything was quiet. Everything had died off. There was nothing. There were just bones left from the chicken. There were just bones with tiny little bits of sinew coming off the pig. And the fruit and veg had just sort of rotted virtually to nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And then he went and he saw a little bit of earth near to the fruit. And he just picked it up. And he said, here's the miracle. From death, there was a tiny little green bud a tiny little green plant, and the whole cycle of life was going to start from that decay. Somehow, I don't know how, I'm no scientist, I'm no biologist, but this man, he he was a wonder at it, and he held this tiny little plant, and he said, this is life from death. This is life from decay. You know the song, O love that wilt not let me go? Verse 4 of that, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead. That's the sacrifice. Life's glory is the sacrifice. And from the ground there blossoms red. Life. Life that shall endless be. One day here, I'm going to preach on Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, and I hope you come to that, because that's going to be a... That's going to, I'm looking forward to preparing that one, I can tell you. The story is that he's in the Valley of Dry and Dead Bones. God says, speak to the bones, and they will rise to life. 
And there are times when we in our lives have to be bold and do that. Speak to the bones in our lives and believe in faith that they will rise in life because the death angel has passed over and life is now possible because of Christ's sacrifice. Through Holy Spirit wisdom, we can speak to those situations, those regrets, those hurts in our lives that are buried deep down. We can speak to them because we know ourselves. We know those parts of our inner selves that nobody else knows. We know those parts of our inner selves that sadly feel like they've died a death or are dying at the moment. They are, if you like, those personal graves that hold on to dead stuff. Dead feelings, dead potential, dead or dying relationships, issues that need facing sacrificially, stuff that needs healing and reconciling, and in so doing enable us to spark into a spiritually exciting and creative kind of harvest way of life. All this started in the dark. All this provision started in the dark. And we might be left with wounds. We tend to think we're not healed, even if we're feeling stuff still, even if the wounds are still there. Well, you are, actually. The wounds, the scars may remain. The great theologian Karl Barth used to say in his writing, when he was writing about Christ, he said, there is a man in heaven. And we sing in one of our songs, I think it's crowning with many crowns, those wounds yet visible above. Those wounds yet visible above. In beauty, glorified. So Christ speaks to us. His wounds speak to our wounds. And we remember that death has passed over. Scripture assures us that we have a God who will open up those dark places. And some might call it a Pentecost experience harvest of souls, a great revival by the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 37, God promises that Israel will be restored to blessing. That is a divine promise for now, and that's a divine promise for the future. But what it does, it asks that we open ourselves up to living by the power of the Spirit's breath and not by the power that the parched bones might still have over us. Live by the power of the breath and not by the power of the bones. That story of dry bones is all about resurrected hopes. When we see the harvest here in front of us, let's be reminded of the empty cross. Nothing is hopeless. Life often comes from the darkness. Finally, you'll know a number of you, my father passed away just a couple of months ago, very, very uh, big moment. It's been a big year for me in so many ways. Um, it takes time, doesn't it, to, to work through all those things. I have moments. I have my moments at home um, when I remember my lovely dad. And one of my memories is this, and I conclude with this. At his house in his flat in, in Bournemouth, uh, he used to sit on the sofa uh, and... Uh, We used to chat a lot together as as far as we could. And above the sofa, there's a big picture. And the picture is of a a door that's just half open. You're kind of in a house. But looking out, there is a beautiful representation of of garden 
of flora, of fauna, of harvest. It's a beautiful picture. And you kind of want to push the door open and go out. But you can't because it's a picture. You get a little glimpse of this glory. And it's a lovely picture. And I used to see my dad sitting under that picture. And I remember that the name of the picture is Resurgum. Which means, I will rise again. I will rise again. What a fantastic thought that is. It's a definite thought. It's a biblical thought. Eric Ball was a deeply, deeply spiritual man. He knew when he wrote that piece for, for Salvation Army Bands, Resurgum. He knew the meaning of that. And my dad played that piece many, many times with the International Staff Band and with all the other bands he was with. And he conducted it too. Wonderful man. And I'd see him sitting underneath that, suffering from Alzheimer's, not always remembering my name or anything like that. And I would just look, and I'd look at my dad, and I'd look at the picture, and I'd say, please, God, let that be so for my dad. And I believe it is now. I believe since July the 9th that is so for my father. But I believe it's so for us in the kingdom of God as we are in it, as we participate in it now. I shall rise again because there is a God who loves me, a God who has given his life for me, a God who, as C.S. Lewis said, has sacrificed himself to himself through Christ. For you and for me. For you and for me. Not because we're good or great, but because of his unlimited, undeserved, great grace.